This is another edition of Building the Future with Dan Rundy. I'm here with Casper Klinger, who is the tech ambassador for the government of Denmark. He is based in Silicon Valley. He's the first ever tech ambassador to the country of Denmark and probably the first ever tech ambassador of any country in the world. Casper, what is this job and how did you get this job? Well, this is an initiative launched by the Danish government half a year ago in sort of recognition that technology and also the tech giants are becoming incredibly influential actors on us individually, but in fact also on, on global affairs. So the Danish government decided that we need a formalized engagement with technology per se, with digitalization, but also with the tech giants. And this idea was sort of developed over a few months, and then there was an application process. And I thought this was a fantastic initiative, which is exactly what was needed here at the end of 2017. So it was too interesting for me not to apply for, for the job, and I was uh, very privileged to, to get it at the end. And I've been on the ground in Silicon Valley now for three months. Casper, what was your past several roles? You had a really interesting career, but you weren't in the tech world before this. What were you doing before this? Yeah, no, I'm a career diplomat, and I've been working in the Danish Foreign Ministry for the past sort of rough 15 years. But I've also worked for the European Union for almost six years. I worked for NATO in Afghanistan, and my latest post was the Danish ambassador to Indonesia, to ASEAN, Papua New Guinea, and also Timor-Leste, so in, in Southeast Asia. So I'm a pretty regular diplomat off the shelf, but I, I think one thing which has been characteristic about my career and also the, the careers of the colleagues that I have on my team is that we've been doing quite a lot of different things, you know, from security policy to development cooperation to sectorial policies. So we have an appetite for, for new areas, which I think is one of the reasons why we applied for these jobs. But Casper, what I understand is that Denmark is a highly digital country. Could you talk a little bit about the country of Denmark and how technology impacts Denmark? Sure. I, I think when you look at sort of there's a number of these indexes around that sort of qualifies countries on, you know, how digital are they, how much e-governance do you have. And, you know, I certainly represent a country that in general comes out at the top of these various indexes. So we are a very digital country. And just to give you one example, um, as of today, I believe it's around 94% of all communications between the authorities and Danish citizens are now digital. It means that my grandmother will have to open a PC and go online if she wants to look at her taxation issues or if she wants a new passport or a new driver's license. So we are a hyper-digital country. But I think just to paraphrase my Prime Minister, I think the important part of this initiative is also to say we are perhaps ahead of the curve compared to other countries, but it's not time for complacency. Because when you look at the technology development, you know, exponential growth, the fourth industrial revolution, I mean, this beast has many, many different uh, words. But I think the core, the nutshell of all of this is that we are seeing fundamental, perhaps tectonic shifts in global affairs and also for all, all of us individually as societies because of technology development. So we need to walk into the future uh, forward-leaning rather than backwards, and that's exactly the sort of raison d'etre behind the initiative that we launched here. What has been the reaction? You went to Silicon Valley. What are the reaction from American tech companies to your presence? Well, I think I'm not revealing any secrets, Dan, by saying, of course, we are we're venturing into uncharted waters here. We have to, to some extent, develop a new language. The tech industry is not used to having a dedicated ambassador walking around the streets in Palo Alto or in Mountain View. And by the way, it's not only an initiative to Silicon Valley. We have a global mandate, so we also have a presence in China and also in Copenhagen. There has been a lot of curiosity about, you know, what is this, what's in it for us, which is, of course, the mantra of many of the tech companies. But I think when we have the opportunity to explain that this is actually also a platform that they can use in transmitting views on Danish regulations or, you know, things that might be preventing them from rolling out their new platforms in Denmark or in Europe, as well as it gives Danish authorities the opportunity to convey to tech companies 
areas where we might not see eye to eye on matters. It could be on taxation issues, on regulation. I think one, once that message gets across, then there is a real interest and a real understanding that this is something that also provides added value to the tech industry. So it's, you know, we've just been on the ground for three months. We're not there yet, but we've had some pretty interesting meetings with tech companies, including some of the bigger ones that have shown actually a lot of interest in what we're doing here. What are the kinds of issues that come up when you either that you raise with companies or that our companies are raising with you? Well, we have a, a very broad mandate, so it, it basically covers everything from you know regulatory aspects to cybersecurity issues, online terrorism, to development corporations, to how can we help solve some of the global issues and global challenges. So I think what differentiates my mandate compared to mandates of other thematic ambassadors around the world, because, you know, there are countries that have ambassadors for cybersecurity or for startups, etc., for gender. I think what is interesting and what I think is right about this initiative is that we have the broad mandate so I can talk about, you know, what are the companies doing to take responsibility in removing inappropriate content online that might be advocating for radicalization or, or terrorism. But I can also talk about investment opportunities and how we can move into a digital single market in Europe that doesn't prevent new technology, that gives opportunities, while at the same time protecting some of the fundamental values or the boundaries of what we think is important when rolling out new technology. And I think that sort of broad agenda is, is quite interesting. Is there a difference in how the United States and Europe thinks about issues of digital privacy? No, I think I'm going to say something which is super general and, and therefore not very accurate, but I, I will say it nonetheless. I think in general, in Europe and especially in Northern Europe, there is a high degree of trust in government. So in general, citizens would have trust that the government is doing good for the citizens, protecting the citizens, etc. I think that's not necessarily the case everywhere in, in North America. And I think that also reflects a little bit our approach to new technology and perhaps also to the tech giants. I have to say, I think I come from a country in Northern Europe where there are a lot of trans Atlantic similarities and I think actually we can build a partnership on this because we are also very interested in utilizing new technology the sharing economy you know my government launched a strategy for that a couple of weeks ago that basically says we need to do everything we can to create the best possible framework conditions for the sharing economy to be successful but then there were a couple of sort of add-ons or caveats which is of course we also have to ensure that we can protect our current welfare system to be able to continue giving healthcare education free of charge to our population and a fundamental requirement in doing so is of course that the taxation regime will continue and that's one of the areas where new technology and the cross-border nature of it is challenging our existing sort of nation-state structures and that's a dialogue that we need to have and we might not see eye to eye on everything with the government here or indeed with other governments but I think you know the fundamental point here is that we cannot go it alone we need international cooperation also on technology you know it would be absurd for me here down today to claim that Denmark would be able to to regulate unilaterally and that would have an impact on you know the big GAFAs or some of the other companies, but we think we can set an agenda and we can begin having these discussions in the European Union, but also with friends here in the U.S. to try and find the right way forward that will bring sustainable development and that will basically lift people into the 21st century in a very, very positive way. Is there a fear in Denmark about the new forces of disruptive technology? I'm thinking about driverless cars, artificial intelligence, the convergence of other technologies that are described as the fourth industrial revolution. Is that being greeted with trepidation, with worry, with enthusiasm? How would you describe how it's being met in Denmark? Again, I, I think it's important to sort of understand that all new changes, all new revolutions brings, of course, anxiety with it. And I think that's also the case in Denmark. I think where we are a little bit more lucky is that we in general have a population that is very pro-globalization. 
that fundamentally believes that globalization brings positive changes, that it lifts people out of poverty, that it brings better education, better healthcare, um, all of that. So we have a very optimistic, future optimistic looking population, including in the more remote parts of, of Denmark. And I realize that Denmark is a very small country, but we in fact have remote parts also in Denmark. And I think that that sort of optimism is super important to retain. Again, I don't think time is, is for complacency. I think it's very important we continue pushing the envelope for people to understand that driverless cars brings opportunity. I think the big issue where I think there is a parallel to my understanding of the U.S. discussions, of course, you know, what will automation and artificial intelligence mean for the labor market? And I think the jury is still out on that. Some economists claim that it will be sort of an equilibrium where jobs will be lost, but others will emerge. Others are slightly more optimistic and others, again, are more negative and being concerned about possible reduction of the number of jobs. And I think these are critical issues. What we're hoping to be able to do with this tech diplomacy or diplomacy, as we call it, initiative is also help inform, you know, not only Danish authorities, but to some extent also the Danish broader public about new technologies so that the fear and the anxiety could hopefully also be reduced when people realize the, the potential and the opportunities that that brings. Can you talk about how you interact with your colleagues in the foreign ministry and other parts of the Danish government? Yeah, I mean, again, this is a very new initiative. And there was a discussion, of course, whether you would put this position in Copenhagen or whether you would mainstream it out in, in our organization. I think the right decision was taken to put this post outside our capital, put it into Silicon Valley, sort of the epicenter of new technology and also venture capital. But it's also evident that, you know, my team cannot do this alone. We will merely spearhead a prioritization of technology as a clear foreign policy priority. It's actually one of five priorities in the Danish foreign affairs strategy, which means that all our colleagues around Danish embassies all over the world will also engage in technology, they will also begin looking at uh, what does it mean, for example, on our development cooperation with African countries. And if you want to be a little bit sort of provocative and, and the devil's advocate, you could say that these technological changes is also something we need to include in our own engagement. So in other words, do we focus on, on healthcare programs in, in Tanzania or should we actually shift to a much more clear focus on infrastructure, on regulations and skills and competences, because these are the three parameters that will define whether countries, regions, individuals will be able to realize the full potential of technology or, or not. So I think what you're seeing is sort of also a transformative force that our initiative is bringing with it inside the Danish foreign ministry. Actually, I also argue more broadly in the Danish government, we have a very, very close cooperation with a lot of different ministries and authorities that are already working on technology and digitalization, but they're interested to cooperate with us on the external dimension of matters. Can you tell me about other countries? Are there other countries that have been watching what Denmark is doing on this diplomacy? Yeah, I would be lying if I told you that it's not interesting when you represent such a small country as Denmark to experience a lot of external interest. And that's exactly what we have experienced with this initiative. We are traveling quite a lot and doing consultations in many different parts of the world. And almost no matter where we go, there is enormous interest in why are we taking this step? What are the lessons learned a few months into the job? What's the mandate? You know, How do we relate to other parts of government? And especially how do we relate to the private sector? So my guess is, and, and perhaps Dan, we can do a bit of a sweepstake, yes the two of us today, and I would probably put my money on the fact that I won't be the last tech ambassador. No. Might not be with the exact same mandate as, yeah. as I have, but I think others will follow. Oh, I bet you're right. 
I think we should bet a steak dinner on that. I bet two years from now there'll be three or four other countries that do the same thing. It's a great idea. I think I think you're right, and I'd be very happy to treat you for it. Oh, good. In Palo Alto. Sign if, me if up. You're right. very good. <laughs> <laughs> but Casper, could you just talk a little bit about, in addition to the what's in it for us, once you get beyond like what is this thing, what are two or three things you're raising with the big tech companies that you can share with us? And then I'd be curious. I'm sure they come to you with sort of more crass or more base. Well, I've got some specific sales thing I want to do with Denmark, but what are some of the bigger lever policy things that also come up? So I'd love to hear what you put on the table and what are they putting on the table once they figure out what you could do with them or what's on their radar screen that's coming up. Well, the first point I always make in meetings with the tech giants is that this is an initiative that is driven by a positive belief that technology will do good for humanity. So in other words, we're not tech shy, we're not afraid of you know the development. We think that this will actually help solve a lot of the problems that we're facing here in the 21st century. So I think that's the first point. The second point is, of course, also to underline that the tech companies... You know, if you look at the size of them, and just to throw a couple of statistics at you, if you look at, at Apple's cash flow, it's more or less the same as Denmark's uh, GDP, annual GDP. If you look at the big four, you know, the value of their stocks are more or less the same as France's GDP. So I think in, in sort of economic power, most of them would qualify for G20 membership as of today. That underlines their influence, but it also underlines, in our view, the responsibility they have. So the responsibility part is something we're also discussing, both on the negative side, you know, cybersecurity issues, online radicalization, etc., but also in making sure that their technology platforms are not being used for malign intent. In other words, that, you know, the data that each of us share every single day by having an iPhone in, in our hands and using it, that the question is, what can that be used for? Who owns that data? Are, are discussions we're having. We're also having the, the very big sort of meta discussion on inclusive technology development. And I have to say, on a personal basis, I am quite concerned that what we're looking ahead on is not only a digital dividend. I believe fundamentally that we will have a digital dividend, but I think we also see the contours of a digital divide where there will be inequality also on the global level between those countries or regions or cities that will really embrace technology and have the infrastructure in place to fully utilize it and those who will not. And I think that puts real questions about, you know, shift of power balances, etc., that we need to take quite seriously. So, so those are parts of the conversations we have. And then, of course, more specific issues like taxation issues, you know, access to data on healthcare in Denmark could be an Another example, and of course, also what is happening in Europe on creating a digital single market and the consequences for the tech industry. You know, it's interesting. I'm not up on all the finer points of this, but we did an exercise about big data for development. And one of the implicit questions is, is who owns the data? If I make choices on a daily basis using my iPhone and that's tracked, is that mine? Do I own that? Is that apples. So I think that's a really interesting question. And I think it's being decided in different ways in different parts of the world. I'd be curious, Casper, you lived in Indonesia, you're ambassador there for Denmark. So you spent a lot of time in Asia. I'd be curious about if I say the word China and technology, what's your reaction to those two words? I think the, the first that comes to mind is, of course, that China is a superpower already as of today. And I think it's also evident that also includes the technology sector and the development of new technology. It's not a coincidence that part of my team will be sitting in Beijing because we also need to liaise with not only the Amazons or the Googles of this world, but also with the Alibabas, the Huawei's or the Tencent's of this world. And they have very, very large corporations that in many ways are also using these new technology platforms in a very creative and also a very powerful way and it'll be interesting and I, I cannot tell you today then what the result of those consultations will be the only thing I can tell you is that we know that we need to have 
that dialogue going as well. Also to compare notes across the board, you know, what is happening in Silicon Valley, what's happening in Beijing or in Shenzhen or in some of the other tech hubs in China or indeed in Singapore or, or in Indonesia where I said before. I think what we're looking at here is, of course, also that technology is security policy and technology is also uh, geopolitical affairs. So in other words, those that will command technology will have an edge uh, also on, on global affairs. And I think what we saw President Putin saying uh, a few months ago that, you know, those who will be able to fully utilize artificial intelligence will also be able to dominate uh, in global affairs. And I think that just underlines that technology is not just a utility that makes, you know, your life easier or my life easier. We can call uh, a transportation or we can find a way through cities. I mean, these are, are real global issues that countries are taking extremely seriously. And that's exactly why this is a foreign policy initiative and not a sectorial policy, that this is something that will influence global affairs and, and we need to look at it with the same seriousness as we do with a lot of other global issues. Casper, the other question I have for you is, ultimately, are you a tech optimist? Fundamentally, I'm a super tech optimist. You know, i give you a few examples from my previous posting in Indonesia, you know, fantastic country, 260 million people, the world's fourth most populous country in the world, which not everybody realizes. You know, it's a country with 17,000 islands and population scattered, you know, across uh, three time zones and, you know, across 6,000 kilometers. So it's almost the distance from New York to Copenhagen. A lot of opportunities, a very young population, a very tech-savvy population, but of course also a country that is struggling with growth, job creation, healthcare issues, and, and education. Now, if you look at what new technology can do for a country like Indonesia, you know, telemedicine, you know, long-distance diagnosis, education using online platforms, you know, th there are no limits to what a country like Indonesia would benefit from. But of course, the flip side of the coin is also that this is a competitive world on those who have the financial means to bring forward evolution also on technology. And of course, what Indonesia needs to focus a lot on is to ensure that they have in place the infrastructure to basically use these new platforms, but also that their companies, their startups, that they will create jobs also in Indonesia, but they will also create a tax revenue that will enable Indonesia to educate its population and to give the health care that all individuals are, in, are entitled to. And, and those are certainly challenges that countries like Indonesia and many other developing economies will stand in front of right now. And I think it's our responsibility. You know, Denmark has always been a very active player on the global scene. Also with our development cooperation, we give, as you probably know, 0.7% of our GDP. In, Denmark's in one of the most generous countries in the world, and you're also one of the the most generous countries in the world in terms of being a burden sharer on the military. Absolutely. And, and I think, again, whether we talk about development cooperation or military affairs, technology will transcend all of that. And that's one of the reasons why we have to treat this, as I said before, in a very strategic way, but also as a key foreign policy priority. Casper, come back. We're thrilled you came and visited us here at CSIS. Denmark's a great friend of the United States. Denmark is a great global contributor to many good things that happen in the world, whether it's on the development side or helping keeping the world safe, member of NATO, European Union, and is an important friend and ally of the U.S. Thanks for being here. Thanks for taking the time to share this with us. I don't think we're going to see the last of tech diplomacy. I think this is the very beginning. This is version 1.0 of tech diplomacy, and I think Denmark is innovating in a way that we're going to see many other countries follow. So I think this is something to watch. Thanks very much. Thanks very much, Dan. It's a big pleasure to be here today.